Hey there guys, it's Tim from the SLS Cast. I know what you're thinking, hey, is there no SLS Cast episode this week? Don't you fret, there is indeed. However, I am here to tell you that this week, episode 168, our special Ode to the Oscars episode, sounds like a really crappy AM radio show. Something horrible happened, it was late at night, and your faithful co-host Tim here was doing a little bit of desktop cleanup, and he accidentally deleted all the files pertaining to episode 168. And usually, we like to go through and do a bit of editing beforehand, where we clean up the audio, where we get rid of all of the hisses and pops and cracks and all the fuzzy noises and boost up Matt's audio a bit, since we're both recording from two separate states, and actually only using our Skype call because our Audacity recordings were deleted. But that is not the case for this week. I wasn't able to clean up any audio or really do much editing at all considering this happened just last night and I've only had about 30 minutes to really mess with this audio before we post it. And guys, I had to get it out. And with saying that, I do hope you enjoy this week's special Ode to the Oscars episode 168 of the SLS cast, though it does sound like a shoddy AM radio station. Do enjoy. and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 168 of the SLS Cast. This, of course, is the Matt Can't Decide episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that I was just so blown away with factoids revolving around this episode number that I could not choose. And so we find out that not only are there 168 hours in a week, but also that there are 168 pips on a double six set of dominoes. And with that little bit of hours of the week and bones information for you, I, of course, am Matt, hopefully sounding normal again, and coming to us all the way from the wonderful California would be our Sony resident employee, Tim, and happy National Margarita Day to you, Matthew. How did you know that's what I was drinking? Really? You're drinking a margarita? I would be drinking a margarita, but I'm missing the most important component to Uh, have a margarita, that would be the tequila. Well, Uh, the tequila, too. (laughs) I got ice. I'm not I'm not that poor. You're not a heathen. I'm not a heathen. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. The tequila I do not have. This happened to be the one hundred and sixty eighth national, you know, tequila day thing. Well, did you know that, that would have been really cool. Well, you know margaritas were first invented like in the fifties or something, forties or fifties. 
And I read this on the National Margarita Day website. Apparently, uh, and I'm just going off the top of what I remember, uh, uh, just going off what I remember that I, of what I read, that the first frozen margarita, or the frozen margarita was invented by a bartender who decided to freeze margaritas in a, like a, 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 a like an ice cream maker, I think is what it said. So the first margarita, the first frozen margarita came by way of ice cream. So if we didn't have ice cream, we would not have a frozen margarita. So tip of the hat to you, inventor of ice cream and ice cream machines. I feel like we need the lead singer from um, the, what was it? The, the Survivor? I have the Tiger people, right? Is that Survivor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I think we need him. Real men of genius. <laughs> A tip to you, <laughs> ice cream man. <clears throat> so. But yeah. there is a, a website from EliteDaily.com, and it is the six reasons to celebrate National Margarita Day, even though it's Monday. Uh, and today is February 22nd. Of course, you know this. If you were any true American or lover of the margarita, you were not at work today. In fact, you were spending the day kicking back. What is your What is your go-to tequila of choice? I, I, we should probably start off with that, Matt. Do you go high-end for your margaritas, or do you do well liquor for your margaritas? Um... I guess I, I mean my my bargain basement is probably a Cuervo gold, but if I get to make my own tequila drinks at home, it's usually Don Julio. Oh, the Don Julio. Yeah. Well, here Elite Daily: Six Reasons to Celebrate National Margarita Day, even though it's on a Monday. Uh, and Matt, you tell me if you identify with any of these six reasons here. Reason number one. Tequila is a key component to any margarita, and tequila has many health benefits. Number two, or num- number two, maybe numero two, tequila is a stress reliever after a bad day at work and a perfect cure for a broken heart. Um, I'm not too sure how I feel about that one, because I would think tequila would would make things worse. When I, I mean, there's, there are literally songs about not discussing people or not, not talking about things with people who are drinking tequila. Like there's literally a song and it's called uh, straight tequila night. And the chorus is don't ask her on a straight tequila night because she'll start thinking about him and she's ready to fight. Blames her broken heart on every man in sight. Don't ask her on a straight tequila night. I disagree with number two, sir. I know way too many mean drunks. I know people who take tequila way too far and like just kill themselves and puke. And no, sorry, I, I must say. And, and if they're going that far with it, I don't see the health benefits either. So, do you actually know somebody who died by tequila puking? Uh, I will say that someone very close to me that I live with 
who shall remain nameless, but perhaps I wear a ring on my left hand on the fourth finger to show that I am with this person, is not allowed to drink tequila except in my presence so that they may be monitored lest they puke everywhere for hours because said person does not know when to stop. That's straight up bile too. If you're if you're <laughs> drinking, getting drunk off of margaritas to where you're you're puking, uh, who, because who it te- really you're drinking. We're chips. talking literally just drinking shots. <laughs> so number two, tequila is a stress reliever after a bad day at work and a perfect cure for a broken heart. Uh, X that one out. Matt proved that one wrong. Number three, it's a Monday and your Instagram feed is going to be lacking. Therefore, you need to head out and take a selfie with that margarita in hand. Or at least add an artsy picture of the salt-rimmed glass. Number four, margaritas go great with tacos, chips, and guacamole. Huh. Number five of, of why you must be celebrating National Margarita Day. Tequila helps prevent colds and can keep ya or keep you from getting sick. I know this is not true because I have felt i mean i i don't i I mean i i don't think it is scientifically proven that tequila can prevent you from if i had a choice to drink a um an airborne or a shot of tequila i would choose drinking an airborne before i get on an airplane because i would think you drink tequila and it's coating your throat Without a chaser or anything, and you go and you're around people who are sneezing and coughing, I think it's just going to make you a little more irritable. Number six, you have nothing else to do on a boring Monday night. Oh, and that's it. It was was six things. So I I guess I didn't really end that one as like a bam, number six. So let me try that again. Number six, you have nothing else to be doing on a boring Monday night. And of course, they do that cliche, it's five o'clock somewhere. Go out and get that margarita. Thank you, Alexis DeZenzo. We appreciate your contribution to Elite Daily as to why we should be celebrating National Margarita Day. Matt, what do you think? What do, you, do you have a philosophy of margaritas and their essence or their place in human life? Mainly that they are for, I guess really when you do need that stress relief, uh, as much as we were joking about earlier, they in moderation they really can be. I remember when I worked way back in the day for Office Depot, and my buddy Clay would—I I, I don't know—he always got the shitty end of this deal, but he didn't seem to care. Um, about once every three weeks, our shifts would rotate so that I was opening and he was um, closing. But we had a solid mid, and it, it and we could go to lunch together. So we would always go to lunch across the street at the mall, and um, they had and during this time period they had it was like their happy hour and they had dollar twenty five margaritas, and you are you know we we looked up the labor laws and stuff at the time and you're allowed. Uh, two drinks during lunch, right? Um, and it's and you know and that's that's if you're operating a motor vehicle, right? And you're still 
to, you know, legalized or whatever. So since we weren't driving and we were just across the street, well, we would have some margaritas with our lunch. And then we'd go back and every time people were like, guys, you were in such just a fantastic mood. And I'd be like, I know. And I only had like an hour and a half left of work too. So yeah, those were good days. Those were good margaritas. That's that's all I have to say about that. There you have it. Happy National Margarita Day, guys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, since we have successfully killed more than our normal amount of time, I guess we should just go right into our regular news segment, shall we not? That sounds good to me. All right, buddy. Here we go. It is the news. <laughs> turn of events i have four times as much news as tim does well Uh, i wanted to make sure we can discuss the oscar predictions i know i'm not not saying that you don't have a reason i just it's like one of those weird you know things that occurred and now i have more news that you but that doesn't mean i have like 25 news stories that just means i have four and he has one so the math probably isn't even right there it's probably like three times as much. Or I don't know, whatever. All right, here we go. So first up from Deadline.com, by way of Anthony D'Alessandro. Fandango acquires Rotten Tomatoes and Flickster from Warner Brothers Entertainment. Yes, folks, this was breaking at the time of this story release. It said that Fandango is set to acquire Flickster and Rotten Tomatoes, which includes the professional movie movie critic rating tool the tomato meter from warner brothers entertainment the move solidifies the advanced movie ticket vendor and movies news site as a premier digital network for all things movies providing customers with i'm sorry providing consumers with showtimes ticketing reviews and movie slash tv news uh, according to the article this is the perfect marriage of brands that complement one another um with their services at this point no cuts in staff are expected um now uh, i don't know i like i'm not a big fan of fandango and while i was initially kind of sad when rotten tomatoes was purchased by warner brothers several years back um I mean, I couldn't blame them, right? They created a, a great site, and, you know, that's the idea. You you sell it, you, you know, you, you build a product, you make your money from it, and then if you're done with it, you sell out and go try and do it again, if that's what you want to do. But I don't like Fandango. I don't know. I find their website to be too clunky. I don't like having to sign in or sign up for every goddamn thing just to look at some brief information or showtime. And it's just easy for me, maybe because I of my geographical location and my preferences, that I already know the three movie theaters that I go to, and we'll just go to their sites right there. It doesn't bother me any. So, and I just don't see a company like Fandango 
buying out and forget Flickster. I, I never really used Flickster very much. I know it's a site for discovering movies and everything. Um, but, uh, but it, and it's more for like trying to find movies versus just straight up reviewing movies in aggregate form. Although Flickster does do a form of that anyway. Um, but I just can't see a company like Fandango buying these things out and then not fucking with them. So it's weird, and I'm not sure that I like it. Where do you land on this, Tim? Do you care? Do you, you know, is this a harbinger of things to come? Uh, I don't know. Like, it's never great hearing about a big company, uh, a movie company or movie studio buying out something like Fandango or... Yeah, and tomatoes or anything like that. Because you want to, because you kind of influence they will have on those websites when it comes to their own product. Uh, so in that regard, doesn't bother me too much. But I actually use Fandango uh, quite a bit. I, I know because of where I live, there's more movie theaters and more stuff going on. So at least for me, it kind of helps me discover a movie that is playing one night. Because we do a lot of, uh, or there's a lot of old theaters that'll randomly play a classic movie, you know, once or twice throughout a given, any given week, uh, all around town. So I use Fandango to look up what's playing over the next couple weeks, just to see if there's anything that piques my interest. But that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, but when I lived in Houston, I only, I never went to Fandango. I, I mean, I knew what uh, movie theaters I went to and just went on the Cinemark website or the AMC website and, you know, Figured stuff out from there. Very good. Uh, from ComingSoon.net, by way of Silas Lesnick, Ron Howard eyes Robert Downey Jr. Pinocchio movie. Yes, you're listening correctly. Now, before you freak out on that, um, in development for some time, Warner Brothers Pictures' live-action Pinocchio movie appears to have found a new director in Ron Howard. Uh, let's see here. The tracking board brings word that Howard will take on the classic tale with Robert Downey Jr. set to play the part of Pinocchio's creator, Geppetto. And uh, the article does continue on uh, regarding that uh, initial directing talent included you know, Ben Stiller, Tim Burton, Paul Thomas Anderson, but apparently... It's been in development hell, so <laughs> you can do that. But feel free to definitely check out the rest of this article. I'm just curious. What do you think, Tim? Um, I I personally am not thinking that the world needs a Pinocchio movie. Maybe it's you know the Pinocchio movie we didn't know we needed. Uh, but at the same time, Geppetto, huh? RDJ <laughs> for Geppetto? What do you think? I don't know. I'm just really looking forward to Gilmero del Toro's Pinocchio, which is the horror version of Pinocchio. Well, he was actually a complete shit in the novels. So, oh, Geppetto was? No, um, Pinocchio. Oh, Pinocchio. Yeah, he. I mean, he was like a just a upright piece of shit for a for a kid. Oh, really? Horrible stuff. Oh my god, horrible, horrible stuff. So, yeah, I mean, of course, once again, the Disneyfication of our world, no one, virtually no one knows that, but yeah, pretty crazy. All right. What do you like, what do you like, Mm. cut people up? Chop Uh, people? Nothing, nothing to that degree, but definitely wreak some fucking havoc. That's for sure. 
Uh, let's see here. Moving along to ScreenCrush.com. Uh, let's see here. By way of the Screen Crush staff. Kingsman 2 casts Julianne Moore as the film's new villain. Yeah, baby. Uh, turns out that before Deadpool, Fox had another R-rated comic book movie that was a surprise success on Valentine's Day weekend. Kingsman opened in theaters on February 12th of last year to over 400 million worldwide, and it didn't take long before Kingsman 2 was greenlit at Fox. Uh, it looks like director Matthew Vaughn had to cast some new actors, and he's already found the new villain. It looks like Julianne Moore has signed on to star in the film as the latest supervillain to terrorize Exe. Um, no other details there, but please feel free to read the rest of the very brief article. Uh, what do you think, Tim? Do you think Julianne Moore will make a as good, better, or not as good choice for villain as Samuel L. Jackson did? Um, I'm personally tired of Sam Jack because he, every Sam Jack character or performance is the same Sam Jack performance so uh i i guess i can't recall him ever getting a blowjob from a frozen man in any other movie but hateful eight (laughs) well well, whenever i say he plays the same character not by the books the same (laughs) written character but how I, i should say how he how he how he plays the character uh, tone like vocal, like vocal, uh, uh, his tone of voice and all that stuff. Yes, the character backs. Okay, the last time I saw him in something where I thought, damn, he he, I mean, he was acting pretty damn well. Is his I forget his character name in Django Unchained, where he was the older. Oh uh, sure, sure. Where yeah, I th- he was the head household slave there. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a good performance. He was he was really good. He played it. He, I mean, that was him portraying a character and you know sam jack's a good actor i mean god he can deliver a monologue better than i don't know most actors out there so i just i I don't know i just really want to see him play more characters where it's not sam jack as this character but him actually becoming somebody uh and i guess julian moore could possibly do that better i mean it's kingsman part two we're talking about so i really don't know how much they're you know she's gonna have to work with indeed all right well i have one last piece but um it might incite a little bit of discussion so why don't you go ahead and jump in with what you got there sir sure uh and my first and last piece of news is a passing this is via variety.com douglas slocum cinematographer for raiders of the lost ark dies at 103 and this is written by carmel dagan and it says this oscar nominated british cinematographer douglas slocum whose many films include several classic Ealing comedies in the 40s and 50s and the first three Indiana Jones picks in the 1980s, died Monday, his family told Agents France Press. He was 103. Slocum drew Oscar noms for Travels with My Aunt in 73, Julia in 1978, and Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1982. He is famous within the industry for never having used a light meter on the set of Raiders. He shot Ealing comedies, including Kind Hearts and Coronets. 
the Lavender Hill Mob, and the man in the white suit. During the 1960s, he was a DP on films including The Servant, The Blue Max, The Fearless Vampire Killers, The Lion in the Winter, and The Italian Job. In addition to the picks for which he was Oscar-nominated, he shot Jesus Christ Superstar, The Great Gatsby, The Maids, and Rollerball in the 1970s. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was his last film. That was in 1989. Born in London, Slocum was raised in France but returned to the UK in 1933. During World War II, he shot war footage that went into documentaries by Alberto Calvacante and Ealing. Slocum drew his first feature film, lensing credit on The Big Blockade in 1942, on which he was co-credited with Wilkie Cooper. According to the Internet Encyclopedia of Cinematographers, Slocum was not identified by a signature style like the other great lensers. Quote, the features he shot are united only in their adaptive commitment to finding each other's projects, ideal visual language, end quote. Slocum won BAFTAs for cinematography for The Servant, The Great Gatsby, and Julia. Uh, And the article goes on from there. He did win a British Society of Cinematographers Lifetime Achievement Award in 1995. Uh, Great cinematographer. Not only did he live to be 103 years old, but he was the cinematographer. He shot and lit some of the most influential movies ever made. Sad to hear that he passed on Douglas Slocum, but at least he made it to 103. Awesome. All right, man. Well, then I'm going to go ahead and close out the news with a piece, an op-ed from RogerEbert.com. This comes to us by way of Matt Zoller Sites. And I would like to, uh, apparently he is the editor-in-chief of RogerEbert.com. He has his uh, op-ed piece, and it says, Why Leo winning an Oscar for The Revenant would be bad for acting. He begins by saying... Acting is not an endurance test, though you wouldn't know it from the yearly crop of Best Actor nominees. A win for Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant would only ratify the tendency to see acting greatness in terms of transformation and misery. I'm going to stop right there, because transformation is not bad, I think, in terms of creating a believable character or a character that is unexpected in any, in any other light. Misery, well, that's debatable. Um, Some people would would claim that it adds to it. Some people think that it does not. Uh, For example, um, Robert De Niro, huge method actor, gained a lot of weight for Untouchables, which this article mentions, uh, versus Nicolas Cage, who decided to go with prosthetics and stuff for his overweight counterpart as the... uh, his overweight twin counterpart in Adaptation. So... Um, I, I don't know that, uh, although sometimes I think that um, makeup and transformation in that regard can help um, with, uh, like, Steve Carell, as he did in, um, oh, good Lord, the wrestling movie, Foxcatcher. So I think it can help to get people to stop looking at you a certain way and expecting something and allow the character to work. So transformation, I think, is not 
uh, an issue. And even and that's something that he makes from his opening line. The misery side, sure, I think that might be something that's a little bit more debatable. Uh, let's see here. He moves on uh, in the very next paragraph by saying, it's the most extreme possible variant of the tendency to mistake most acting for best acting. Um, I don't, and, and again, um, and he and let me go ahead and continue here because I think it's I think it's fair to let him expound here. It's common wisdom now to say that if you want to get an Oscar nomination, especially as Best Actor, it helps to play somebody terminally ill or struggling with a chronic condition, i.e., shine, the loss of mobility, i.e., born on the Fourth of July, my left foot, the theory of everything, or deformity, the Elephant Man, the English Patient, or wear lots of makeup to look like a famous historical figure, Lincoln, and so on. And it's true. If you want that little gold man, you've got to pay some kind of physical price. I'm going to stop there. Again, no, I, I, I personally, I disagree with this entire line of thought. And he and and uh, Matt Zoller's Stites here further expands on this by talking about what DiCaprio put himself through and how he constantly talks about how tough it was and how hard the shoot was and everything like that. And, and not just for him, but for everybody. Um, but that DiCaprio does continually harp on that. And all, and all these things are trying to do are just basically going to say, unless you lose a lot of weight, you know, um, like, uh, McConaughey did in Dallas Buyers Club again, something he references in the article, or, you know, you go to some just ridiculous extreme, then you're not going to be able to be taken seriously in the best actor category or, you know, even best actress or what have you. Um, and I just completely disagree with that. I think that if you have a character that you have truly transformed, uh, into something that is your, that is, that it becomes your creation, that you and that character can be synonymous in that role for that movie, not necessarily typecasting, uh, certainly not typecasting really. But so, and that and that creates something that resonates with the movie going public, and the movies at large. I think that is what brings your presence and that performance to the fore. And I believe, in my personal opinion, that that is what Leonardo DiCaprio did. I think that because of the outlandish extremes that the shoot created, um, which garnered amazing cinematography and had an amazing and harsh story to tell and did it in a real scenario instead of in front of a fucking green screen like everybody else, virtually everybody else, um, you know, Mad Max, obviously, notwithstanding, that you have, that it creates that kind of buzz and it creates that kind of atmosphere to say, holy crap, that's amazing. Not just because these people, you know, tried to kill themselves for a performance, but because that dedication to craft that does not always have to be necessitated or predicated upon extreme treatment to yourself or others in the name of the movie creates great cinema. And and it's like this guy missed it. It's like this guy just completely missed the point. And, and again, it's an opinion piece. It, it is an op-ed. Um, and, and so 
I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to say that this guy can't have his opinion or that his opinion is wrong per se, but I, I personally believe this guy took the complete wrong tack. And he does, he does conclude that, you know, DiCaprio, um, that he says here, this is the last paragraph. It says DiCaprio at his best is so good that you don't catch him acting or you don't think of what he's doing as acting, even though it is, um, and the final line is, but maybe he's on to something. You know, Cary Grant never won an Oscar. Um, it's a really interesting article. I don't, obviously, I don't want to sit here and read the whole thing because it's worth reading, and I highly suggest you check it out, RogerEbert.com. Um, but I do think it's interesting to note that um, this guy was... <laughs> and, it, and what I I don't know it's just weird for me reading it he was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize he has that in his byline and I'm like well maybe if he'd won the Pulitzer he'd feel differently I don't know but what do you think Tim um, first of all I, I don't know are you familiar with the article at all and whether or not you are I guess do you have anything that you would like to comment or discuss I'm familiar with it no. <laughs> no, I I don't I mean I've heard rumblings about similar things about since Leo's been picking up I I mean he he's the front runner to win. And the entire time I was really thinking that Freddie Redmayne not Freddie Redmayne. I always call him Freddie Redmayne. <laughs> Eddie Redmayne um was going to be was he I thought he was going to be the front runner because his performance was acting, not just – and I think when a lot of people think of acting, they think of, well, I mean, it's not just the look, but the uh, the, the nuances within the facial uh, – your facial fe- – the facial feature nuances and or expressions and how the actor carries himself, but it's also the way they deliver the lines as the character. And then – I mean, and that's why I really wanted, I've been wanting Eddie Redmayne to win because he does that so well. He embodies that character 100%. And my big beef with Leonardo DiCaprio is that he he doesn't talk. He doesn't have, he has very little lines in the movie, uh, especially even compared to Tom Hardy. And that's saying a lot because, or not saying too much because Tom Hardy doesn't even talk a whole lot in the movie. But I think, and again, I, I think that that goes, um, I mean, for example, uh, you know, when, when we had The Artist uh, several years ago, and that was literally a black and white silent film that was up for Best right. Picture and everything. Yeah. Well, they, they sure as shit didn't do a lot of talking in there, and now did they? <laughs> well, so, no, and, and I'm not saying that an actor has to. Yeah, exactly. He won, and the movie won Best Picture, and he... Uh, uh, French actor, I can't remember his name, but he won Best Actor, right. and, and he deserved it. He was my favorite from. Sure, but again, he was my pick but, from the beginning. But that just goes to show that being able to embody a character, and let's face some, and and I mean to to that point, Hugh Glass, despite what whether or not the veracity of the bear attack story uh, is one hundred percent true, um, to have to have lived in that time period. And have been for a traitor. And to, you had to be like that. I mean, you had to be tough as fucking nails and hard as fucking rock. 
You know, you you literally had to make a diamond think twice about going up against you thinking, shit, man, I'm going to break. But right. And 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 I think that that was part of the plan, especially when you when when combined with the cinematography, because there's still one character in that movie that trumped them all. And that was Mother Nature. Um Right, and, but and and I'm sure. I mean, we'll discuss this more. I mean, I, I don't mean to to add fuel to the fire with this, but uh, but my big thing is, is that I'm I'm just worried that people are so hung up with Leo not winning the Academy Award before, and I mean, I think it's it's safe to say personally that this is not his best performance. It's a good movie. It's a good performance, but. Compared to his other nominations, I don't think it really – you can't really – I mean, there's they're, – they're incomparable. Uh, yeah, the cinematography is beautiful with, uh, with, with The Revenant. And yeah, I mean, you can, you can tell that he was put through a lot of strenuous, strenuous situations during the shoot and you know, with the conditions and stuff that encompassed the entire shooting of the film. But that shouldn't be, and I'm not saying that this is the reason why you uh, that uh, that you like his performance as much. But I'm saying for other people, I, is that I think with a lot of, I, I'm just worried. I don't want that to be the win all be all. That be the reason that they're just impressed that he was able to work through those again, conditions. Sure, and again, and that's why I, that's why for me, and I want to make sure I stress that it is for me. I don't think I think that they that that might have been uh, a part of you know uh, I, I think it was a contributor to his performance, but I do not believe it was the heart and soul of his performance. And I think that's what a lot of people who who are sitting there saying it's not his best role. Well, I mean, we can't we can we can you know argue till the cows come home about whether or not his best role versus Gilbert Grape or even Wolf of Wall Street or what have you or anything or any of his other nominations um, are as good as this because different year, different time, different set of movies to go up against. So, you know, it's neither here nor there at this point. We have to deal with what we have now versus what he's up against now. And I don't know that he was – I don't – I don't know that he has specifically been robbed in any other situation. I mean, I'd be willing to debate a little bit, I guess, with Wolf of Wall Street. But, like, I'm sorry, folks. Have you seen Titanic? Seriously? Do you really think he earned a nomination in Titanic? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, he, you know. did, no, he, did, he didn't even get nominated. No, I thought he did. No, no. That was the whole big hoopla. She got oh, okay, nominated. Yeah, he got, yeah, that's right, because he, he, was, he was supposedly snubbed. Okay, yes. So... I mean, it's like, I mean, come on. He he hasn't he has had missteps just like everybody else. There there are things that he's done that maybe he wishes he could take back, or some things that maybe he should have gotten nominated or didn't. Whatever, I don't know. But for me, for this movie, and again, I, I do want to stress for me. I while I think that sure the harshness and the dedication were things that contributed to a great performances uh, to a great performance. In this particular instance, I think they were means to an end, but not the end-all be-all of his performance. And I think that the silence um, and his facial expression speaks volumes, not because of, again, that, oh my gosh, he's so dedicated and he's so thin. No, but because despite all that, personally, despite all that, you can see just 
everything shaped on his face, and that's not all makeup. You can't, you just can't do all that with makeup. Um, and so that's that that you know. So at any rate, um, so so it comes down to two groups of people, I think, with with this. The people who felt like the movie, the filmmaking, upstaged the performance, or those who think the the filmmaking complemented his performance. So, yeah, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair statement there. So, anyways, well, now that we know where we're at on both sides of that. <laughs> That'll conclude the news. And as promised, we have a bonus segment this week. But what the fuck? We've made you wait like four weeks now for a bonus segment. We're going to make you wait a little longer. (laughs) Uh, We're going to jump right into the movies so that we can uh, wrap up all the Oscar talk. And then our bonus segment will be our picks for the Oscars. Yay! We'll have a real bonus segment in the real slot and regular time frame session for next week, though. I promise. So, are you ready, sir? You want to get down to it? Yes. Here we go, folks. It's... The Movies! Alright, and this week's movies are... A War and Embrace of the Serpent... Along with Deadpool and Zoolander 2, or Twolander, or Zoolander number 2. Um, now, I don't know how you want to split these up, Tim, because, again, like last week we explained, due to Matt living in the cultural death zone or something uh i i don't have the i didn't have the ability to see a war or embrace of the serpent like i have to wait like two more weeks before i can even see embrace of the serpent here um well how about why don't we uh why don't we do deadpool and two lander okay so we'll do deadpool and two lander and then lead into the oscar talk with your takes and then we'll do the sure yeah the predictions and yeah okay very good very good then that's what we'll do all right so alphabetical order then deadpool and Zoolander or just Zoolander? just uh, the the further the 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 longest we can go without talking about Zoolander part two. Well, let's see here. Okay, so Deadpool. Well, we'll go with Deadpool. All right, 2016 American superhero film based on the Marvel Comics character of the same name. Uh, strictly speaking, it is the eighth installment of the X film X Men film series and is directed by Tim Miller. Uh, let's see here. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Morena Baccarin, Ed Scrain, T.J. Miller, Gina Carano, Brianna Hildebrand, and Stefan Kapisic. And I hope I said that right. I apologize if I completely butchered it. Um, yeah. So what we have here is a guy by the name of Wade Wilson. He is a former special forces. Uh, he's a special forces flunky, basically. He well, Because while he was successful in special forces, for reasons unbeknownst to us, he was dishonorably discharged. He find, We find him as he is working as a... Uh, uh, a hired thug, more or less, but uh, he, yeah, he just kind of does what you need if you need some muscle. Uh, he is, of course, got a mouth on him like nobody's goddamn business. And after falling in love with the amazingly hot Morena Baccarin, um, and believe me, folks, if you're a fan of 
Serenity and or Firefly. Actually, I guess it'd be Firefly then Serenity. Um, you're not going to want to miss this movie at all. Um, the Yeah, we've got the Merc with the mouth and the Hooker with a heart. Unfortunately for old Wade, he comes down with cancer and decides to take one last-ditch effort to try and cure his cancer, and then we have Deadpool. Um, and so that's kind of the idea behind the movie. And, of course, the movie is presented out of order, um, which is both true to the series, but at the same time helps you understand. Uh, it gives you a very good context uh, for what you're going to be seeing and why you need to understand what you're seeing in the, in the character of Deadpool. So props there. Um, I personally loved this movie. Just love, 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 love this movie. It does have some serious flaws in it though. Uh, namely two. Uh, it has got just an innumerable amount of continuity errors in it. And it also has, and, you know, again, they even joke about it, but some of the CGI is just kind of like, ugh, really? Now, before, before anybody who loves Deadpool gets bent out of shape, this is a four-star movie. Four stars. Really, really enjoyed it. We'll tell everybody and everybody to go see it. I, have, I already have plans to go see it again. But... While it certainly seems that Ryan Reynolds was built for this, was basically designed for this role, um, and if you doubt that, you really need to go back to Blade Trinity, I think it was, and just watch him, because that was the first time I can ever remember seeing Ryan Reynolds, and it was pretty much the same thing. Um, this is definitely a movie that fully understands that it doesn't need to take itself seriously only when encompassed by people who actually know, understand, and care about the source material. Because when you have those three things, not taking yourself seriously is the hallmark of this particular idea. Not only that, you can still present it in a universe with which everything exists, but because of the nature of the way they chose to follow Deadpool, because Deadpool's history in the comics has been shaky, and this current iteration that is being presented on film was not initially how Deadpool was presented in the comics either. So just like things can be retconned, of course, you get the fun aspects of the movies. But... Um, the idea, though, of breaking the fourth wall and having someone who can talk to you uh, and actually pulling off R-rated material is just such a goddamn breath of fresh air that even and, and it's like they even know when it's time to dial it back a little bit, because there are times when. It's just so heavy-handed with the one-liners and with the uh, smart-assery and trying to pull things off that you, you're like, okay, guys, we need a break. And it's like they recognize it, so they dial it back a little bit and have sometimes a semi-serious moment or even one or two actual serious moments in the film. Um, but they know that that's not what you're really here for, and let's get back to it, and they jump right back in. Um, 
the, I think that the vast majority of people who will go to this movie will appreciate that, but I also think that there are going to be people who are just not going to be able to deal with such heavy-handedness, and it's going to cause them to say, oh, man, it was just too much of the one-liners, and it just was nonstop. And, and I think the majority of those people who feel that way will not truly have been familiar with Deadpool, especially in the last, say, five, six years. Um that all being said, this is just just so fast-paced, so much fun, and things that just you refer to and make you laugh uh, that are just so awesome, including, I mean, and just the, just the flow of how it goes back and forth between shifting to the camera, playing to the camera, directly breaking the fourth wall, and jumping right back in all in one breath – is just phenomenal. The action is over the top. It's nice to see blood and guts in a good action movie and a good superhero movie. And I can't wait to see more. I will say, though, there are an awful lot of continuity errors. Um, for example, towards the end of the movie, uh, he gets, you know, Deadpool gets stabbed in the head. Um, so he's got a knife sticking out of his head. They pull the knife out of the head, they cut away, they come back. There's nothing to indicate that he ever had a knife in his head. They go away, they come back, and then there's a hole in the side of his head um, where the knife was. And then they go away and they come back, and then the hole's not there anymore. But there's a, like a darker, wet spot where the blood would have been because, you know, it's a red outfit. Um, and it's stuff like that. Uh, you, they, they go to, the, they go to the, one of the villains or the henchman guys or the villain, and he's got blood in his teeth. They cut away and they come back, and the blood is gone. They cut away and they come back, and the blood's back. And... I mean, it's it's just all that kind of stuff. And when you're dealing with that kind of stuff, um, you know, some of that stuff could have been more practically handled. And, again, that goes to the kind of flimsy CGI. Uh, Colossus is much fun and how they really captured the spirit of Colossus. Um, he just – it just really didn't look good. And, again, I understand that, you know, Colossus is – does have that kind of flexible skin, so to speak, uh, in his form of that throughout the comics and stuff, but I feel like it could have been done a little bit better. Eh, what are you going to do? Um, maybe, I don't know, not make him CGI the whole time? I guess that's possible, but whatever, they didn't do that. Four stars for me, fantastic movie, has some flaws, not enough to say that you won't really enjoy it. Go check it out ASAP, and hey... Look me up, and we can go see it again, too. What do you got there, Tim? And Matt will pay for your ticket also. So <laughs> if you're in the Houston area, look up Matt. Matt SLS Cast. And, and go to a, an 8 p.m. showing on a Friday night. Deadpool, yes. <laughs> Deadpool is the kick-ass of 2016 for me. And I say that because I reacted the same way to Deadpool that I did with, like I did with Kick-Ass when that first started. Because when, when Kick-Ass first started, when Kick-Ass first came out, when they were first doing the promos and stuff, most of the promos um, just kept circling around the fact that it's a violent-as-hell superhero movie, there's foul language in it, there's sex in it, and there's a little underage girl in it who curses throughout the entire movie. And I didn't think... I 
I didn't want to be entertained by that. I don't consider that as entertaining. And basically, and pretty much, the trailers, the promos of it just killed it for me. And it wasn't until the movie already came out in the movie theater, and it was released on video or or DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, and I watched it over at a friend's house. And I was pleasantly surprised because the entire movie wasn't about sex. It wasn't all about... Uh, the violence. It wasn't all all, uh, all about the girl cussing all the time. Yeah, it, it, it was a gimmick, and it was a a plot de- a character device for her, which is stupid and annoying. But that is not what the movie was about. And with Deadpool, I was worried about the 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 sex over the top violence and T J Miller. Uh, in his brand of comedy, which that was the main promotion. That's how they were promoting the movie and marketing the movie, that it was over-the-top, violent as hell, graphic, uh, horrible language throughout, or coarse language throughout, and tasteless jokes. And that is not what this movie really is. It was actually more dialed back than what I was expecting. Uh, The violence, especially, the head cutting off wasn't really in bulk in this movie, or what was not as much, or wasn't in as much, or wasn't in as much? Wasn't delivered in bulk, I should say, as much as I was expecting. So... It was nice. It was a breath of fresh air. It left me pleasantly surprised. I had a very good time seeing this movie. Uh, The drama was very effective, which I was not expecting. It might have been a little too effective. It started getting me thinking about uh, uh, cancer and all that stuff, and that's never too fun to really be thinking about during a superhero movie. But, hey, something worked. I mean, it got me feeling for the character, really wanting to see him... Uh, see him succeed by the end of the film. I didn't realize he was an actual character, not just a goofy jokester or prankster, violent prankster, I should say. But no, he is actually trying to do good. I I wasn't. I never really read a lot of Deadpool, or was very, uh, really too much. Uh, wasn't really uh, very knowledgeable of him. So that was really nice to see that play out on screen. Uh, T.J. Miller, he played Weasel. He def or no, is it Weasel, or am I thinking of Daredevil? Uh, I forget his name, but his friend in the show, in the movie, T.J. Miller. I'm not a big fan of his humor because he is very raunchy, and his voice kind of gets on my nerves. And his his raunch really isn't witty. It's just raunch to be raunch, and some of it is funny, but. I just didn't want to see it in this movie as much, and it really wasn't that much there. He did a couple wisecracks, and that was it. He actually played a character, so he dialed it back, which was great. Uh, Really, the only negative thing I have to say about this movie is that I felt that it tried a little too hard. For example, the one-liners and the zingers, they were really getting... or or they, or they they, they were feeling too forced than fitting organically in the movie. And that was really the main reservation I had with this movie, minus some CGI flaws, continuity flaws, character flaws, and just, uh, or or I I should say just filmmaking flaws in general. But that to me was a big uh, point taker offer. And it really wasn't that drastic either. So 3.75 out of 5 Deadpool for me. Go check it out. All right. Well, it's time for the shit fest, folks. 
Zoolander 2. Zoolander, Zoolander number 2. 2016 American supposed comedy film. Uh, directed by Ben Stiller. And it stars Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson, Will Ferrell, Penelope Cruz, Kristen Wiig, and Fred Armisen. And, of course, a host of fashion and singer-type people as themselves. Um, we are picking up literally about 15 years after the first movie. And there's now a new conspiracy going on. And through a rather obscure way of showing these people who are dying as a result of this conspiracy, uh, Zoolander, Derek Zoolander, is brought back into the fore. Also, through a weird combination of events, uh, actually more or less at the behest of Billy Zane, uh, we find that Hansel is back as well. And things have just not been going very well for either one of them. Mainly because somebody really did go and build that uh, school for ants. And it had a bad foundation. (laughs) Sad. I don't know. All right, so they come back together. They have a new plan, or they have a new conspiracy that they have to foil. And yet, at the same time, they have to get over their irrelevance. Um... This is something that I was worried about from the very first time that, actually really the only time that I happened to see the trailer for this film, which was in the theater. I was in a position where clearly you can't avoid it. And I was just so sad because I could already tell by watching the trailer that they showed anything that was remotely funny in the trailer. Um... Once again, this is actually a little bit... I I will say that while this is definitely better than Joe Dirt 2, this is in the same league as Joe Dirt 2. There are things that once they've hit a certain point, it's just better to remember them fondly. And when you let 15 years go by, you've let way too much time go by. I appreciate that there are new things to make fun of in the world of fashion. I also appreciate the somewhat clever motif of combining um, entertainers and fashion in a way that is much more relevant today than it was 15 years ago. But at the same time, it was the same tired jokes. And they were kind of tired by the end of Zoolander. Um, And they didn't need to be brought back up again. I didn't like the use of Christine Taylor in this film at all. Um, It just didn't, it didn't resonate with me. I mean, I got it. It was kind of a fun joke, but I I think that it would have been a lot more fun, especially if you're rehashing a new conspiracy to have the, to, to, and you're bringing the old team back together, then bring the whole team back together. The jokes are just bad. The acting, especially from these people who you know can act, is... It's like they just showed up for the paycheck. I mean, maybe their intentions were good, but it's just blasé the whole time. I I really don't think Penelope Cruz should have been in this movie at all. Um, I, they're just... 
so many flaws with this movie. The story that they, the story that it tells, um, the the acting. I'm sorry, the directing. I don't know what he was trying to do with these characters and how he was trying to translate them on the screen. But I think he should have taken a completely different tack or a completely different story. Or once 2006 rolled around, 2007, he should have said, "You know what? I think it's. I think we're done. I think it's time, and we just let it go, and not." what he did um i i applaud the effort there were some pretty cute parts to the movie um there there's a um oh what was it uh when he he uh oh gosh Yeah, I don't know. It just I give up. The I give this one one point five. It's just such a complete and utter crap disappointment. I can't say I fully hate this movie, but it's it is in the I hated it territory. So one point five. What do you got there, Tim? Oh, I I loved it. I thought it was the best comedy I've seen in the past decade. I wish they would come out with a third one next year and just shot. Okay. No, no, I did not like this one. This is just like Joe Dirt 2, but I could actually watch this movie. Uh, I am a big fan of Zoolander, the first film, the first movie. I thought it was original. I thought it was funny from beginning to end. It was a, a cutesy 80, 85 minute movie that. Surprisingly, at the time, my grandfather thoroughly enjoyed. And there were a lot of comedies that came out, uh, or comedies that came out that he just did not like. But there was something about how Ben Stiller carried the character and portrayed the character of Derek Zoolander that it was just good old wholesome fun entertainment. Was was great about it is that everybody was in on the joke, in on the joke. Everybody knew what was going on, and that's what made it entertaining. This film, it looked like people were just in the movie because they liked the first one also. And they thought, you know, I maybe this will be good, maybe it won't. I mean, really the only person that actually fit in this movie as a character in a Zoolander film was Benedict Cumberbatch as all. I thought that was great. I thought it was hilarious. That was probably the best joke in the entire movie. And guess what? You saw it in the trailer. In fact, anything or everything pretty much that would have been a pleasant surprise was spoiled in the trailers. And that does include Mugatu. Mugatu comes in well over halfway through the movie, around 50 or 55 minutes. And the movie's only an hour and a half. And that's when you first see him. 55 minutes into the movie. And he and he is a plot device. He is a plot, like, everything relies on the revelation that, ooh, is Mugatu behind this? So once you know that, there's really no point to be invested in this film, in this movie. And a big reason why uh, this movie fails is that it relies on that investment. Because the movie is not funny. You can't laugh. There's nothing to laugh at. The characters aren't funny. But there's so much plot 
they went big and whenever it is funny or when they are trying to be funny and whatever jokes that they're trying to pull, who were they directed towards? Who is this movie made for, especially current teenagers? Cause that's what it felt like. It felt like they were trying to go for those who were, uh, who, who were my age back when the first one came out in 2001, which doesn't make sense because those who saw this in 2001 and since then would like to see more of, I don't want to, I mean, I, I normally, I don't like to say more of the same, but with something like this, like with something like dumb and dumber two, you want to see more of the same, just a different setting, um, a, a, a slightly different story, but the structure is to be there. The same structure needs to be there. You can't go and have the story become big all of a sudden. And this is what happened with this movie, is that they decided to go big. So I give Zoolander 2 1. Because like I said, it is just like Joe Dirt 2, which I gave 0.5 stars, but I could actually watch it from beginning to end. And there you go, folks. The sadness that was Zoolander 2. All right, so Tim's going to go ahead and close out the movies here for us uh, with his take on A War and Embrace of the Serpent. Take it away, Tim. Okay, so I had the pleasure of seeing the our final two foreign language films uh, at the movies here in L.A. over this past week. And, boy, the two, both of these were good, but one of them was fantastic. Not quite a full five-star movie, but just about there. Uh, the first one I will talk about, though, is the Danish film entitled Kriegen, translated to A War. This came out in 2015. And this is a film that is set in Afghanistan during the occupation, uh, during the fight uh, against the Taliban. And this is via, or, and this is from the point of view of the Danish military. And a Danish military company is in Afghanistan, and they're fighting the Taliban. Uh, and they are, I guess, in a way, they're protecting civilians within this town that is nearby their base. And as the movie go uh, goes along, because the first half of the movie takes place predominantly in Afghanistan, and the second part of the movie takes place in in a courtroom. And so, the first part of the movie, you you see this guy. The actor is Pilu uh, Asbik. A-S-B-A-E-K. He plays Klaus uh, Michael Peterson. He is the commander. His wife and two kids are back in uh, are back in Denmark where the mother is having a hard time coping with being the single parent. Uh, their kids are in school. I'm sorry, they have three kids. Uh, and the oldest son, he is the troublemaker. He's not doing it in school, so the mother's having a hard time, and she just really wants her husband to come home. But her, uh, but her husband, Michael, is the commander of the Danish military in Afghanistan. Uh, and during a battle in one of these towns that they're protecting, or, or village, I guess you could say, he is forced to make a call which later on he is that call that he made he is then accused of committing a war crime and i don't want to spoil that particular reasoning of him being tried for a particular war crime because it all adds to the build of the story and it's also nice when you don't know when to expect it especially this is a really solid film. The performances are good all around, and, and it takes a war story perspective that I guess you're really not completely 
familiar with or maybe you haven't really seen before. Uh, because a lot of war films that you see, people doing good things and everything that they are doing is labeled as a good thing, especially with American movies. What they're doing is an American thing, unless you're watching something like the hurt locker or uh, zero dark 30, where you know that they're doing wholehearted, you know, good old American war things, but is what they're doing legal, you know, so there's more of a Michael Moore look on it, I guess, to where what you're doing might be a little, little taboo and not legal, but with a war, you know this guy is a good a good guy. However, he is forced to make a call that was hard for him to make, but it was a call that he had to make. And at that time, he felt was right. Because when nobody, I mean, especially as a civilian, I have no idea what these people are experiencing. And this woman who is prosecuting him has never been involved. She's, she's not from the military. She's just a law lady. And so that's where the struggle of the movie really kind of comes into play because you have these people from one side of the line persecuting this guy for making a call in a time of war, and they have no idea what that is like. And so I give this movie four out of five. I mean, I could easily give this one a 4.25 out of five, but I'm just going to stick with four. Solid acting. It's a solid film. Uh, This director, Tobias Lindholm, is a solid director and filmmaker. I mean, the reason why I knocked off a star is because I don't know if it was necessarily pacing issues or whatnot, but I guess maybe it was the flow of the movie to where the ending just didn't have the particular or or didn't leave me with the desired impact that would have had me fondly look back on this movie as one of the best foreign films of this year. So that was A War, the Danish foreign film and I gave it four out of five. Next up is one of my favorites and in fact it tied with The Look of Silence. I gave The Look of Silence and am giving this one 4.5 out of five. Um, Embrace of the Serpent comes to us from Colombia which is where it was shot and it is directed by Ciro Guerrera. That is Ciro as C-I-R-O Guerrera G-U-E-R-R-A and it stars... Uh, Nilbio Torres, Antonio Bolivar, Jan Bivot, B-I-J-V-O-E-T, and Breon Davis. And I actually got to meet and speak uh, with Breon a little bit after the film wrapped up uh, this past weekend at the uh, at the at the local Newt Park Theater, which is where they were giving a really cool Q and A afterwards, or where he was giving a really cool Q and A afterwards. And Embrace of the Serpent is a special film. And for those of you who are familiar with Carlos Castaneda and his books about the shaman, the great shaman Don Juan, and you are a fan of his books where they really get into the cerebral, you know, spirituality about of life and finding out who you are within the eye of the creator or mother nature or just however you want to look at it, then I think you will really get a kick out of Embrace of the Serpent. It's a beautifully shot film. It's all about encounters, I guess. It's an encounter uh, between a shaman and this scientist who is in ill health. And he's asking the shaman to help guide him to this other tribe downriver in order to obtain this plant that is said to cure all those who are sick and is in need of a remedy. You know, this will kill, uh, this will cure all sickness. And uh, that shaman is by the, uh, goes by the name of Karamakate. And as this story is playing out, it's also jumping into the future where old Karamakate is 
guiding the uh, guiding a, a man uh, named Evan, who is portrayed by Breon Davis, who is also in search of this plant. And uh, it's in the future uh, after Theo, who is the sick one who is uh, needing to be guided to find this plant. Uh, the scientist, he, he published a book uh, of his journey. And Evan has this book and he's reading about this plant and he's using this book as a guide to locate this uh, elusive uh, healing plant. And so he finds old Karamakate who by this time doesn't remember the journey. He doesn't remember where to go. He, he's lost his way when it came to talking to nature, you know, listening to the rocks and, and letting nature guide him. He can't do that. So he tells Evan, I'll go with you to find it, but you will be the one leading me. You will be our guide. And what's very interesting about these two different time periods that the story takes place in, or that the film dabbles in, is that every time the storyline with the young Karamakate and the ailing uh, scientist encounters something, it goes back to old Karamakate and Evan, and they kind of encounter the same type of thing, but watching the aftermath of it. And this takes place during the rubber boom in Colombia in the early 1900s where the native population was very, you know, didn't really look at the white man with smiles, I should say. They hated the white man because they were just going there to exploit the tribes and their precious rubber, uh, rubber trees. And what you see through the eyes of old Karamakate in Evan is drastically different from what you saw through the eyes or through the experiences of the young Karamakate in Theo. And it's interesting because you get to see how the rubber trade affected all of these tribes, this landscape, these people, especially their outlook on uh, religion, on their gods, on their way of living. And some of it, some of it, it well, actually most of it is, well, a chunk of it is absolutely horrific and some of it is hopeful uh, in a way. And so in a nutshell, that is embrace of the serpent. I was trying, I had a, I'm having a difficult time explaining it without giving too much of a way because the movie is indeed, again, if you've read any of uh, the tales of the shaman Don Juan, uh, you'll know that it's an experience. It's a journey. And in a way it's very much like a self help <laughs> movie because it helps you and it allows you to, it provides you with the tools, the basic tools to go out and experience life and maybe find yourself at a different pace and just differently altogether. Um, like I said before, it was shot beautifully. It is a beautifully shot of, uh, of, a, of a cerebral film, of cerebral film. Uh, the story and its subjects handled with so much love and passion that it shines through each and every shot. It's an adventure film that dreams are made of. It touches on and explores themes of life and finding yourself. And it does it in a way that most movies would be afraid to explore. It's just a damn fine movie. Uh, it's a damn fine effective movie as well. You're, you're looking at characters and, performer and performances that are true and that, that are just beautiful. Man, a tip of the hat to all the actors and Ciro Guerrero for being able to pull this one off. Because this entire film is shot 
on location. They were actually canoeing in, I mean, they were, they were using real canoes. They were on the real river and they were visiting all these tribes. They actually hired, they got real tribal folk to be in this film. And the movie just felt authentic because you know that they did their research. And again, I'm trying my damnedest not to spoil anything. So do check it out. Don't look too much into it. Just go and check it out when you're able to. So Embrace of the Serpent, 4.5 out of 5 for me. Awesome. All right. And thus concludes all the Oscar movie stuff and brings us to our bonus segment, Matt and Tim's Oscar winning picks. And are we just going to go from top to bottom this year or bottom to top? Or how do you want to do it, Ming? Yeah, let's go bottom to top. Bottom to top. All right, scroll down to the bottom here. Okay, writing, original screenplay. Uh, We have Bridge of Spies, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Spotlight, and Straight Outta Compton. What do you you pick, sir? Are we going to do what we think will win and what we want to win, or just what we think will win? Well, okay, well, it's like uh, with this one, I I think... Uh, Spotlight will win, and I, 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 I think I want Spotlight to win as well. Uh, Inside Out is a very original script, though I didn't care for it too much. However, I mean, but I do still think that uh, Inside Out could win it, but I'm holding pretty strongly to Spotlight. Okay. Uh, I want Inside Out to win. Uh, I think spotlight will win but i don't know how i I think i think ex machina has a small chance of upsetting it so is your choice inside out or spotlight um well i want who who, who we think oh i'm sorry i want inside out to win okay um i think oof I think I think Spotlight will get it, but but it, I would not be surprised if Ex Machina came out of nowhere for the win. Um, all right, so writing adapted screenplay, we have The Big Short, Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, and Room. Um, let's see. I want. I God, I really want Room to win, uh, but I have a feeling it will be The Big Short, which I think does... I mean, if, if The Big Short does win it, it does deserve it, because I thought it did a good job uh, telling the story that it needed to tell and doing it so effectively, uh, which I get... Which, is, which, which I think was a big undertaking for them to... Or it was a big undertaking for them to do that. Uh, so I want Room to win, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be the big short. Okay, well, I want The Martian to win. Um, just such a fantastic screenplay all the way around. Uh, especially when you know how much of the book really made it into the movie. So outstanding work there. I think, however, um, that Room will get it. Personally. I, I would love for Martian to win it, but I think Room is going to get it. Okay. Uh, visual effects. 
<sighs> um, we have Ex Machina, Mad Max Fury Road, Star Wars The Force Awakens, The Martian, and The Revenant. Um, I'm going to say Mad Max. Yeah, I think this is where Mad Max is going to shine, right here. So I would agree. I don't know. I mean, I, Star Wars was. I, I mean, mean I, if, yeah, it I, could I, be. Star it's Wars. so hard to choose because I would like to see Mad Max win. I would also like to see Star Wars win. Um, but I could see how Star Wars might somehow win. But I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be Mad Max. I gotta say, I think it's gonna be Mad Max. There's another great article about Mad Max where they were saying that it would have been better if Mel Gibson was Mad Max for Mad Max Fury Road. I'll save that for next week, but it just made me think of it. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right, next up, sound mixing. Uh, we have Bridge of Spies, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, well, me personally, um, I would... Um, I think this is probably the best shot for... Um, for the Force Awakens, um, so I would like to see Star Wars win this one, but I think this will be one. I think this will be one that the Martian wins. I am gonna go with the Revenant, um, because the sound in the in the Revenant is absolutely brilliant. Uh, it truly, everything it you truly hear, is, but um, I think for whatever reason, I don't think it'll get mixing on this one. I think it'll get editing. Because as much as we, as much as I was saying that the sound is a, like its own character, I think they'll, I think they'll chalk that up to editing and not the actual mix of mix of the sounds. They'll chalk it up to the way it was edited, uh, mixed in with dialogue and score. Yeah, but then you have the mixing of the sounds because, I mean, it takes to really get the depth of the sounds of, you know, the ice, of the snow, of the dripping water. And I'm trying to remember what all that you said in your uh, review that you really liked hearing uh, people breathing off in the, you know, like right behind the actor, or right behind the camera. You can hear the breathing off to the side and just, you know, man, you have to have a great mix to really pull off all those uh, levels of sound and noises and uh, to really get all those nuances. Uh, so that's, that's my sure. reasoning. Okay. Um, well then I guess, so you've got the Revenant. Did you have one that you would want to win over the Revenant or do you want the Revenant and think the Revenant? Um, I both. I both and I both want and predict. Cool. All right. So sound editing. Um, I actually both want and predict that Revenant will get this one. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess maybe huh. nominees: Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Sicario, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. <laughs> maybe we should uh, maybe we should get some uh, nominees in there. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with. Um, I think I'm going to go with Revenant as well, though I think it definitely could be Mad Max Fury Road. I listened to this great NPR. Uh, it might have been Fresh Air or something, and they were talking, they had the sound guys in for Mad Max Fury Road and talking about how they created all the truck sounds and how all the truck sounds aren't your 
called truck sounds, but they created uh, via uh, they, they took different animals that they felt best represented the character of the vehicles. And it was just very interesting hearing about how they created all those sounds and put them all together. Uh, but I'm going to stick with The Revenant for this one again. Okay, very good, very good. Uh, let's see, moving past short films, both animated and live action, because we did not do those. Uh, production design, Bridge of Spies, The Danish Girl, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, and The Revenant. Hmm. Oof. That's a tough call for me between Bridge of Spies and Danish Girl. I want the Danish Girl to win, but I think it's going to be Mad Max on this okay. one. I want Bridge of Spies to win, but I think Danish Girl is going to win. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I I went and listened to the music for original song. I was I listened to the songs. Did you do that? Yeah. Oh, oh, most definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I both want and predict that simple song number three from Youth is going to win. Oh, you see, I – okay, I want that to win. But I don't think it will because it is a, a super classic song. And unfortunately, songs like that haven't – uh, the Academy hasn't been too kind to songs like that. Uh, I mean, it reminds me very much of Annie Lennox's song from the third Lord of the Rings that she won. Absolutely beautiful. But a part of that was because was uh, Annie Lennox. So unfortunately, I think it's going to go to uh, Lady Gaga or Till It Happens to You from The Hunting Ground because of the subject matter of not only uh, of the film and or I guess because of the subject matter that the uh, that the song uh, that the song backs I guess mm-hmm. um, fair enough sure and but yeah but I, I want youth but I think it's going to be Till It Happens to You and God it better not writing on the wall it'll be pissed I don't know I, I don't know if I would be more pissed if Spectre was on the wall if Spectre wins or if Shades of, Fifty Shades of Grey wins. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving up. Music, original score. We have Bridge of Spies, Carol, The Hateful Eight, Sicario, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, man, uh, I really don't... This one, none of these really reached to me other than Hateful Eight. So... I want the Hateful Eight to win, but I mean, I could, I could kind of see where Sicario or Carol might get it. Um, uh, well, the Hateful Eight did win the Golden Globe. True, true. That's usually good. For you. you know, I'm gonna go ahead and just, go, I'm gonna go for it. Uh, I'm gonna. I want the Hateful Eight to win. I will predict Hateful Eight. I went back and listened to all of these scores, and there's only one that, to me, uh, that I can that I remember off the top of my head, and I have I, I feel pretty confident in being that I can actually go through and replay that eight ten minute song in my head right now and be pretty close to what it actually is, uh, and that will be the Hateful Eight. It's not. 
the best score. Uh, in fact, Anino uh, Morricone, I think, was pretty surprised that he even got nominated because he didn't really have all that much time to produce a score. Um, I mean, I mean, all all the other scores are good. I thought, I think, Star Wars: The Force Awakens is a long shot. I love John Williams, but there isn't. It's been done. I mean, it, exactly, it's been done. Yeah. Bridges Bridges Spies is nice. Sicario uh, wasn't bad. Carol was not nice as well, but The Hateful Eight and Nino Morricone score is the only one to me that stay out, and I think it'll be something that I think that a lot of people will go back, will, will remember I think as time goes on like even if people didn't like The Hateful Eight I think they will say that they did like the score, so I both want and predict The Hateful Eight to win Very cool, alright, so moving along we've got makeup and hairstyling, Mad Max Fury Road the 100-year-old man who climbed out the window. Uh, let's see here. And then, of course, The Revenant. Uh, this one's a really tough one for me because um, I can see both Mad Max and Revenant pulling this one out. Uh, as much fun as I had with The 100-year-old man, I just um, I don't, I, I just don't see it. It just doesn't have enough clout to pull it off. Um, gosh, I just don't know. I don't know. And quite frankly, between the two, they both were really good with makeup and hairstyling. Um, can I can I can I just wish them both good luck, or do I have to pick one? <laughs> you have to pick one. <laughs> Fuck. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll. All I'm, the I, scars. I'm totally happy if either the Revenant or Mad Max wins on this, but I guess I'll lean towards Revenant. Okay, I'm gonna go for Mad Max. Um, I I would be fine with either of them winning, but I I predict Mad Max because of there's more to me. Okay, I, the reason I'm picking Mad Max is the reason why I would pick a Victorian set era set uh, film to win best costume design because of the beautiful gowns and the detail and the the lush uh, visuals that the costumes give off. I feel the same way towards Mad Max. There's more of a visual lush to them that, to me, if it didn't look right, it it would not work out at all. Uh, so Mad Max for your road for me. All right. Fair enough. Uh, moving into foreign language film, we have Embrace of the Serpent, Mustang, Son of Saul, Thebe, and A War. Um, I am just going to go, uh, let's see, without having seen Embrace of the Serpent or A War, um, I can only go off of what I saw. So I would say that I hope that Son of Saul wins. I, I don't feel comfortable saying I, I think it will win, but I suppose I have to because that's all I saw. And it was definitely my highest rated of the three that I saw out of the five. So, so Son of Saul? Yeah. Um, I kind of have to. So, right. <laughs> I think it's a. It'll be a toss up between Son of Saul and Embrace uh, Embrace uh, of the Serpent. Though I think Son of Saul, more people will gravitate towards that due to its subject matter, and I, I think more people more comfortable with awarding that movie than they would with Embrace the Serpent. I think a lot of people don't uh, don't really um, accept something 
different with with open arms. I, I guess, I guess I'm, I don't know, that might not be the best way to explain it, but um, I would like either of them to win. They're both great films and something completely different than I have seen. Both films are something that are that are both completely different than what I've seen over the past couple years in this in this category. But I think I will stick with Son of Saul as well for winning the. All right, then we go to film editing. The Big Short, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Spotlight, and Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Uh, let's see here. I, I don't know. I, I, I really would like Force Awakens to win this one. Um, I, God, I, I can't decide. It's, I think it's going to be between Spotlight and Mad Max. I, 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 I think Mad Max will win. I want Star Wars to win. I think Mad Max will win. Although it wouldn't surprise me if Spotlight took it. Editing is important because the movie doesn't become a movie until it's the editing room. Uh, in fact, a lot of movies become what you know and love because of how they're edited in the editing room. And when I think of a, of a movie deserving this award, I guess, is something to where, like, if the movie wasn't edited as precise or wasn't as precisely edited, the movie would have had a different, would have would have taken on a different effect or had a different effect. And that leaves me with, really, The Big Short and Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, those movies relied on editing. It's just one, two, one, two, one, two. Two back and forth, back and forth. Cut to this, cut to that, cut to this, cut to that, and it was very effective. It doesn't take away from the movie at all. It it's an experience. It adds to the experience of watching these movies. Spotlight is a very is a slower kind of movie. It's very character driven. The Revenant is very character and scenery driven. And Star Wars: The Force Awakens is 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 Star Wars driven, I guess. But the short is I mean they're to convey the fast-paced nature of Wall Street, and one way of doing that is in the editing. Uh, I believe Wolf of Wall Street also got nominated for Best Editing, and it, for the same reason here. Mad Max Fury Road, you had these great car chase scenes and these great stunts happening all, all, you know, all around, and you needed a good editor and good editing, good clean editing, to really capture everything within the chase. So it's it's a toss-up between the two of those. Uh, it might be the most difficult for me out of all of the categories. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with. I'm gonna have to go. I'm, I'm gonna go with the big short on this one. All right. Well, let's see here. Moving past documentary short subject and into documentary feature, uh, we have Amy Cartel Land, The Look of Silence, What Happened, Miss Simone. And Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. Um, I both want and predict Winter on Fire to uh, to win. Um, however, given the subject matter, I could see where Cartel Land or even the Look of Silence could steal it. But I think just based on subject matter alone, um, Winter on Fire is going to take it. And oh my god. So good. So, so, so good, so good, so good. So I want and predict Winter on Fire. 
I think it's going to be between Amy and The Look of Silence. Uh, I Therefore, I would rather The Look of Silence to win. But I have a good feeling that Amy will win Best Documentary Feature. I say this because actually when we when uh, part one of The Look of Silence came out with The Act of Killing, um, it was up against a film called... Oh, it was about the backup singers. Uh, 50 feet, 20 feet from stardom or 50, yeah, feet, 50 from feet from stardom. stardom. And I thought, you know, it's 50 Feet from Stardom's a good movie. It's it's a very entertaining movie, but I thought Act of Killing it's more poignant of the films of all the of all the nominated films. Uh it has to win. But no. They went with more of the audience pleaser and Amy definitely is not what you would call uh, an audience or an audience pleaser of a movie, but I think it is going to the more popular of any of these. So I'm going to go with Amy as my prediction. Okay. Uh, jumping straight into directing, we have uh, Adam McKay for The Big Short, George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road, Alejandro G. Inaritu for The Revenant, uh, Lenny Abramson for Room, and Tom McCarthy for Spotlight. Um, I am full, wholeheartedly behind this decision of wanting and predicting Alejandro G. Inaritu for The Revenant. It's This is another toss-up between Inaritu and George Miller. And I guess this is another hard one for me, because Matt, what, what makes a good director is that it, you're a good director. You pull the movie together. Uh, what ma- makes Mad Max fascinating is that Mad Max is George Miller's creation. He envisioned all of these car chases scenes. He create. He knew what this movie was going to be before the cameras started rolling. Same thing with Inuritu. He wanted the film to be so realistic and so moving visually that that alone could tell this compelling story. And for the most part, it does. I mean, like what we were talking about earlier with Leo not having to speak a lot because of his his conveying of emotions and, you know, what the character is thinking of whatnot. Um, but my big issue is, is what trumps what? Does the filmmaking trump the overall film? Does the scenery, does the, cinema, does the cinematography trump the overall film? That is why I want... George Miller to win or even, or I mean, I really want Lenny Abramson to win. I mean, that would be my absolute dream for him to win for room. But to me, I think George Miller did the better directing. However, I do think in to win his second best director award for the Revenant in a row, I might add. So I'm going to go with the Revenant in your All right. Uh, then quickly to costume design. We have Carol, Cinderella. Oh my gosh. Okay, we have Sandy Powell for Carol, Sandy Powell for Cinderella, Paco Delgado for The Danish Girl, uh, Jenny Bevan for Mad Max Fury Road, and Jacqueline West for The Revenant. Um, For me, in terms of costume design, this is a three-way horse race between Carol, Danish Girl, and Cinderella. Um, I think Carol and Danish Girl, because they are so closely related in time period, uh, will be hard to pick. Um, I can safely say that I would like to see Cinderella win um, because I really think that 
a period piece is easy to do. And while I think that uh, Jenny Bevan did a great job of, you know, depicting post-apocalyptic worlds and everything and having unique um, and having some unique costume designing choices, um, it's somewhat easier in Carol and the Danish Girl to just pull from existing periods and just really make sure you're on your A game with choices that match the colors and the good scheme and working with the cinematographer and the director to kind of have that intact. But with Cinderella, you are literally not just starting from scratch. You are having to start from scratch remaking one of the most iconic ideas of a picture in people's minds in terms of what the costumes are going to look like. And I think she did just an amazing job of both pulling that off, but at the same time honoring what people remembered. And that was the most original, I think, to have had to have tried to do, given the field that it was. So I would absolutely love for Cinderella to win. That being said, I'm... God, I'm gonna lean. Oh, geez. I don't know if it's gonna be Carol or the Danish girl. Well, what's funny is that Sandy Powell. Mm-hmm. She also did the costumes for Carol. That's what I know. That's why I said Sandy Powell for yeah. Carol. Sandy Powell for Cinderella. Oh, <laughs> because yeah. So she's good either way, right? Uh, um. Just, so, so just say Sandy Powell will win. Yeah. <laughs> I predict Sandy Powell. No, um, I guess I'm just going to lean towards personal preference of time period, and I'll go with Carol. I predict Carol. But I, I, it's really just because I can't truly pick between Carol and Danish Girl. So I want Cinderella. I will go ahead and land on Carol for what I think will win. To me, it's between, well, it's definitely all, you know, between Cinderella, Carol, and Danish Girl. Uh, but I'm going to go with Cinderella. Uh, it blew me out of the water, the costumes did, when uh, we first saw the movie back in whenever March it came out last earlier year? last year. Yeah. And yeah, just about a year ago. And they're, I mean, they were beautiful. It wasn't your typical period movie. There were, it was, there were characters, you know, they created the characters, they made the characters. Um, and it was the same thing with Carol. I mean, one of the best things about Carol were the costumes. But I'm I'm going to go with Cinderella. Sweet. Win. And I hope, boy, if I'm wrong, I will be very happy that I was wrong on that one. And, and you are right. <laughs> um, so kudos to you for having more faith than me. <clears throat> but either way, looks like we both want Sandy Powell to win. So that's good. Uh, let's see here. Cinematography. We've got Ed Lockman for Carol. Robert Richardson for The Hateful Eight, John Seal for Mad Max Fury Road, Emmanuel Lubezki for The Revenant, and Roger Deakins for Sicario. Um, well, I think how this one... Go ahead, sorry. Let's <laughs> see, I think I know how this one's going to land. Well, yes. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> in case you haven't figured out where I'm betting heavily, and we'll probably be wrong, but I don't care. Um, I, you know, I fully expect... Emmanuel Lubezki to win. Um, and while I want for him to win uh, as well, I will not go into that. 
I will know God softly into that good night or quietly without mentioning both Ed Lockman and Robert Richardson. I think that uh, they both did phenomenal jobs with the cinematography based on uh, material and what they had to work with. Uh, Sicario, I think, is a really decent movie, but for me, it just the, the cinematography really didn't do anything for me uh, overall. I think there was some really good camera work, especially with the you know uh, night vision scene and stuff like that. So I think there was some really creative stuff, but those really creative things weren't enough for me to pull it off. And um, cinematography is good also in Mad Max, but I really am, it's really the special effects that make that both make and break uh, Mad Max Fury Road for me. And I'm glad it's getting all of this. Um, I'm glad it's getting all the airplay and I'm glad it's getting all the attention because it deserves it. But um, yeah, the, the real standouts for me were Ed Lockman and Carol and Robert Richardson for Hateful Eight. But I both want and predict Emmanuel Lubezki for The Revenant. Agreed. Yeah, Lubezki. Lubeski all the way for me, because <laughs> I, I think the cinematography is what made the movie, personally, so got to go with him. There you go. All right, so here we go. Animated feature film, uh, Animalisa, Boy and the World, Inside Out, Sean the Sheep movie, and When Marnie Was There. Um, I, we know it's going to be Inside Out. Yes, of course, you know me so well. I am choosing Inside Out. But I would like to say that, uh, for the record, on both Animalisa and When Marnie Was There, I think that if the flaws in, this, in, in both of these two movies had been better addressed, um, I would have been much happier trying, especially in, the, in, the, in Animalisa's case, um, I really would have liked to have tr- wanted one of them to be able to say, oh, I want them to win, or I think they're going to win. Um, because, man, are they, they had such good story potential. I think Boy in the World is you know visually interesting, but I think it's just too far out there. And Shaun the Sheep, you know, didn't do it for me. Um, I literally watched Inside Out a week ago yesterday, uh, I'm sorry, a week ago tomorrow, so six days ago, whatever. <laughs> um, and it still gets to me the way that I saw it in the theater. So I want and predict Inside Out. Same here. I don't. I'm, I want Anomalisa to win, but to be Inside Out. I'd be surprised if it did not. Cool beans. All right, well, here we go. Getting down to the nitty-gritty, folks. Actress in a supporting role. Jennifer Jason Lee, The Hateful Eight, Rooney Mara, Carol, Rachel McAdams, Spotlight, Alicia Vikander, The Danish Girl, and Kate Winslet, Steve Jobs. Now, I'm pretty sure I know what Tim's going to say on this, but um, you know what? I want Alicia Vikander to win, I think, and quite frankly, I think she deserves it more than anybody else in here. Um, I agree, or I'm sorry, I guess I'm... I'm speculating that I'm going to agree with Tim that Kate Winslet did a great job. Um, and I can see Rachel McAdams taking this, but, you know, I really want for her to... On, quite frankly, I think she deserves it more than Eddie Redmayne. So I got to say, I want and predict Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl. Jennifer Jason Lee won the Golden Globe 
and she deserved it, but not as much as uh, as Kate Winslet or uh, and uh, and Alicia Vikander. Kate Winslet made Steve Jobs. She made Steve Jobs. Yes, the one fault she had was that her her Polish accent got thicker as the movie went on, <laughs> but she did a great job. Alicia Vikander did, I think, uh, w- w- did a did a did a more honest portrayal. So I think, for the sake of acting, for the art of acting. It'll go to Alicia, uh, Alicia Vikander. Um, I honestly would love... I, I want both of them to win for different reasons, but for, do, for the art of acting, for the sake of acting, Alicia Vikander. All right. Well, we've got actor in a supporting role to move on to here. Uh, Christian Bale for The Big Short, Tom Hardy, The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo, Spotlight, Mark Rylance, Bridge of Spies, and Sylvester Stallone for Creed. Um, You know, I think Christian Bale and Mark Ruffalo are great actors, but quite frankly, I don't think that they were uh, Oscar material in these films, in my personal opinion. Um, I think it's a very nice nod to Mark Rylance's quiet performance in Bridge of Spies. Um... And so I think it's great that he got this nomination because he was definitely, for me, one of the truly most interesting characters in the film. And I know that the film really focuses on Tom Hanks, but let's face it, without Mark Rylance's character, there wouldn't have been a movie, right? So to that end, you know, kudos to him. I think the real race here, though, is between Tom Hardy and Sylvester Stallone. And I gotta say... Um, it's a really tough choice for me because um, Sylvester Stallone has come such a long way. Remember what I was talking about earlier with you've, you've got a defining role. It's not a typecast role, but it's a defining role, and you've truly made that your own. That's what Sylvester Stallone did here with Creed, and it's just a lifelong role that he's been able to come back to. And there's a reason that people accept that and buy into that. It's because he's owned it in such a good way. That being said, I have not, I cannot remember hating somebody uh, and loving it as much as I have for a while, as I did with Tom Hardy's character in The Revenant. Um, so, you know, I, I honestly, I want them both to win. I don't have a, I don't care. Um, but man, I, you know, I think. I think the edge goes to Sylvester Stallone. I think that given his career, given the stuff that he's done, given where he's at, I I think he gets the edge and I'll predict Sylvester Stallone over Tom Hardy. Yeah. Same with me. Mark Lance gave a great performance, but I just think Stallone was a standout from, uh, uh, you know, what was the standout performance in Creed, uh, a very honest 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 character portrayal uh especially for somebody who he's played multiple times before i mean i don't think anybody was really experienced or expecting something of this caliber uh from him so so let's still on cool all right well then here we go actress in a leading role kate blanchett for carol brie larson for room jennifer lawrence for joy uh Charlotte Rampling, 45 years, and Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn. 
Um, you know, you guys know how I feel about all these movies, and um, none of these particular actresses in the field this year moved oh, me very much. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, 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 um, I, I, it, it, having to pick one, um, I would say I'm glad that uh, Cersei got the got a nomination, much in the same field as Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies. I'm glad she got recognized for her work. Um, not that she's going to win, but I, you know, it's just nice that she got recognized. I think that the real uh, race this time is going to be between Kate Blanchett and Brie Larson. Uh, just objectively speaking, uh, I, I don't really have a preference because of reasons that we have gone over ad infinitum so we're not I'm, I, you know no need to go over them again but I I mean if you know gun to my head I guess I would want Kate Blanchett to win but I believe uh, and will predict that Brie Larson takes it for room for me it's between Saoirse and, and Brie Larson uh, I want and expect Brie Larson to win powerhouse performance uh, night and day better than any of the other nominees. Uh, I think any of the other uh, nominated actresses and also nominated uh, actors as well. I thought she did better than uh, most of them as well. So, yeah, Brie Larson, best actress. There you go. All right. So, second to last actor in a leading role Brian Cranston for Trumbo, Matt Damon for The Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio, The Revenant. Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs and Eddie Redmayne, The Danish Girl. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay. We all know this is basically between Leonardo DiCaprio and Eddie Redmayne. But I would like to touch on two things. One, what the fuck is Michael Bass- Fassbender doing here? He should not have been in this list. I'm, I'm, we, we could have found somebody better, I think. So what the shit. Um, I'd also like to say that, you know what? Matt Damon fucking owned The Martian. He fucking carried that goddamn movie by himself and fucking owned it with dialogue even. So I think it is amazing. I'm glad that he is nominated. Unfortunately, I, The Martian should have come out either last year or next year <laughs> um, in terms of the Oscars. So sorry, Matt Damon. I just don't think you're going to get it. Um, I... You know, I really want, I'm sorry, I want, and for the sake of argument, predict that Leonardo DiCaprio uh, will take it for The Revenant. Um, But I don't know. After last year, I I mean, you can see the kind of roles that Eddie Redmayne picks, so I guess he knows how to pick roles that get Oscars. It wouldn't surprise me if he stole it, but I don't think he deserved it. I think he did a great job. Please don't misunderstand that or mischaracterize that as I think he's a poor actor or anything like that because I have loved Eddie Redmayne for a very, very long time, and I thoroughly think he, I thoroughly enjoy his acting, and I really think he's super talented. It's not that. I just think that these roles are, like, designed Oscar to, fodder? That, that he's choosing. Yeah, and, and it's not about how good he is. It's just the fact that, you know, oh, you know... Uh, the subject matter it's so hot right now so that you know whatever 
So I want and predict Leonardo DiCaprio, but uh, would I be surprised if Eddie Redmayne got it? Nope. Real quick before I do this, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change my Alicia Vikander to Kate Winslet, on 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 the record, just to just to spice spice that up a bit. But uh, I think it's between. I, I I really want Eddie Redmayne to win. Uh, but it's we we it's gonna go to Leo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I think when it comes down to it, it's really gonna be between Leonardo DiCaprio and Michael Fassbender. Uh, two best things to come out of Steve Jobs: Michael Fassbender and Kate Winslet. Uh, but Leonardo DiCaprio will prevail. So, okay, and then the finale: Best Picture, The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn. Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. Hmm. Um, well, I both want and predict The Revenant to win. I could loosely see how Room could get it, and even more loosely how Spotlight could get it. But again, The Martian is just a fucking fantastic movie. Too bad it came out the year that it came out. Should have come out last year again, or maybe this year. The other ones, I'm sorry, I just don't think they're good enough. I I just don't think they're good enough. Um, Mad Max Fury Road is a spectacle of special effects and also why practical effects are so important. Um, but I think it's, it, again, like I stated last time, it was bogged down by being bookended with terrible CGI and confusing uh, themes at the beginning and end. Um, Brooklyn, it's a glorified Lifetime movie um, <laughs> or, or BBC movie, whatever, Bridge of Spies. It's a, it's a neat story, but not worth it. And Big Short, it's funny. Uh, it's got um, It's got heart, but it's just not there. Um, the real race here is Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. Uh, I could see how room could take it and to a lesser degree spotlight, but uh, you know, final answer want and predict revenant. Uh, yeah, I think it's between revenant spotlight and room. I, I'm going to go with revenant. Uh, spotlight is a good story. It's a real, it's a true story. Uh, and people are drawn to it. Same with the big short, even, um, room, and bridge of spies. Well, in bridge of spies, but bridge of spies, is, I was just saying true stories. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. And but theoretically, theoretically, Revenant. Remember, it's an it's inspired by true events. Right? True, exactly. But the, but my beef with Bridge of Spies is that it was too pro America or America the Beautiful, uh, and it was too. It had a lot of that Oscar, the classic Spielberg Oscar fodder that his movies have been soaked in. His last three or four movies has been soaked in, I guess. Uh, Brooklyn is a good movie, but it's not the best picture. Uh, Martian's a good movie, but it's not the best picture. Mad Max is amazing direction, but not the best picture. Um, I, I, I personally want Room or Spotlight. Uh, I, I, but I, it's going to be. The, I have a feeling it's going to be The Revenant. But I want room or spotlight. But I'm going to go with the revenant. All right, 
And that's it, folks. Dems, denominations that we watched movies for so we could talk about them, and we did, and we have, and it's done. Um, you know, when we talk about this again, we'll be going over the winners. So, woohoo! But for next week, our bonus segment is going to be a three squared of strange casting choices for real life people. So basically, we are going to cover movies that are based on uh, real people or true stories, much like Spotlight, you know. And then talk about our picks for some strange casting choices for said people. And I think um, that brings us to... Oh, wait. The movies. The movies for next week. Ah, almost forgot. (laughs) We've got The Witch... Gods of Egypt, and Learning to Drive. Hey, Diana, remember that? Look, we finally got to it four months later. Sorry about that. Uh, So those are the flicks for next week. And I believe that does bring us to the spiel, does it not? Spiel on. Alrighty. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can even follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NitTwit12345. You can also climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that is your heart desire and don't forget you can also subscribe to us on itunes and or favorite us on stitcher radio so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to Kristen wig i get to say this at parties i'll start talking and notice everyone is looking at me and feel dumb and say forget it and then start eating things take your cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>